me to Mark chapter 5 tonight. Mark chapter 5. And uh, I want to look at verses 21 through 43. Quite a bit of scripture, but uh, I need all of it for you to kind of get where we're going tonight. Mark chapter 5, we'll start at verse 21 and land at verse 43. Once you got it, say yeah. If you need some time to find it, say hold up. All right, I'll wait for you. Come on. That was a desperate hold up. Even though it's on the screen. Amen. Mark chapter 5. Starting at verse 21 and we'll land at verse 43. Look at what it says. It says, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you're going to sit up here and ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, one version says ignoring what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? This girl ain't dead. She's just asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and then told them, don't just stand there and look at the girl. Go to Chick-fil-A and get her something to eat real quick. Come on, somebody. That's good stuff. That... It's some scripture. You can just drop the mic. That is good stuff right there. And uh, I guess in, in full, let's call it sermon prep disclosure, I should tell you that I almost titled this message. I almost titled this message tonight, Get Up. Because how many know that's a good sermon title, Get Up. That makes you want to do cartwheels down the aisle of the L Ray, Get Up. But upon further reflection, I realized that was a premature title. It's a premature title. And it's simply because of verses 40 and 41. I want us to hone in on that. So let's just for a moment uh, back that thing up uh, biblically uh, to verses 40 and 40. It's the 8 p.m. Stay focused. Because remember, 
Jesus walks in. He walks in and says, this girl is not dead. She's just asleep. And as soon as he says that, it says, but they laughed at him. They laughed. Who is the they? The negative, doubting, unbelieving, faithless, SAT word, cantankerous people that were in the room. That You know those people that light up a room when they walk out? <laughs> Don't point at nobody. Those people that... <laughs> Those people that like for every solution, they gonna find a problem, that's the they, that's the they. They laughed at him, and then it says, after he, that's Jesus, put them all out. Jesus put them out. In fact, the Greek suggests that he physically put them all out. See, I don't want to mess up your theology or your Christology tonight because you think, you think that Jesus is just kind and sweet and loving and caring and he's a good, good father. And he is, but this text lets me know, don't get it twisted. He is so, so gangster because all of those negative, doubting, unbelieving, faithless people that were messing up the atmosphere for the supernatural to occur, he said, all y'all got to get... You ain't got to go home, but you got to get out of here. And then once they got out, then he went to the little girl and said, get up. So, hey, family, what if the power of a miracle is not just in the miracle itself, but rather in the atmosphere and the environment that surrounds a miracle? Could it be possible, could it be possible that you've been looking at things in your life, telling them to get up, but this is actually the season of your life to start checking your environment and telling some things to get, I want to preach at the 8 p.m., come on. Would you look at your neighbor, whichever one you like the best, and just tell them my title, just look at them right in their face and say, neighbor, oh, come on, look at them, say, neighbor, get out. Come on, find another neighbor. Find another neighbor. Say, other neighbor, you my second option. I got a word for you. Tell them, get out. Ooh, it's going to be good. Come on, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Speak to us tonight. Amen. Get. Zoe, the divine intersection and I guess collision of characters in this text tonight, immediately gave me a nostalgic, uh, parental, fatherhood flashback to November 2014. I remember it quite vividly because I was getting ready to leave our home in Dallas, Texas to go preach at a conference, which isn't anything unusual. I often leave to go preach at a conference, except this time, everything was different. Everything was different. Because I was not just leaving the house as a husband, now I was leaving the house as a father. My firstborn girl, Everly, we call her Evie. Uh, she had just been born. And I was in that emotional, precarious predicament of leaving my firstborn daughter for the very first time. And come on, every parent in here will attest to the fact that things are different with your first child. Like, come on, th there are things that happen with your first child that none of your other children will experience, okay? <laughs> like now, now my wife and I, we have three kids 
plus a demonic dog. So <laughs> when I leave the house now, when I leave the house now, I leave like I got warrants for my arrest and I take the long scenic route home, okay? <laughs> often, often Taylor will call me with chaos in the background and she'll be like, babe, where are you? I'll go, I'm in traffic. She's like, no, you in the driveway. I see you. Come in the house and help me <laughs> with these kids. <laughs> Yo, but when it's your first, it is different. So I was emotional, to say the least. Tears are going this way. Snot's going the other way. I'm holding my baby girl. I'm like, I love you so much. I care about you. I was going to preach one night in Florida. You would have thought I was going to war for like 15 years. <laughs> I was like, you is kind. You is smart. You is I mean, I was a mess. I was a mess. And uh, I walk in the service that night. I'll never forget it. I was still emotional. I walk in, and a guy by the name of Eddie James is leading worship. And of all songs, of all songs, he's actually singing, you're a good, good father. It messed me up. It set off a trigger. I was like, no, I'm not, Eddie. No, I'm not. <laughs> just a mess. And I don't even think I preached. I just put up a picture of my daughter and said, that's point one, two, and three. And finished, and after the service, was talking to the worship leader, Eddie James, and he comes up to me and says, Robert, congrats on your daughter. She's beautiful. I said, thank you. I made her. I then, said, uh, <laughs> then said, you know, Eddie, my daughter Evie might not have ever been born if it wasn't for you. Eddie looked at me like I had lost my mind. I said, Eddie, you probably don't remember this, but in December 2006, you were scheduled to lead worship and preach at Christ for the Nations Institute in Dallas, Texas. But en route to Dallas, your van broke down on the side of the road. Eddie goes, I remember that night. I said, Eddie, you picked up your phone and you called a man by the name of Adam McCain. And you let him know that by the time your van would be fixed, there was no way you would make the service. So regrettably, you had to cancel. Adam McCain got off the phone with you and looked at a room full of people and said, Eddie James just canceled for our Tuesday night student chapel. Who in the world are we going to get last minute to fill his spot? In that room was a man by the name of Brian Ming. He lifts up his hand and says, hey, I just heard this young guy named Robert Madu preach. He's local here in Dallas. Maybe he can do it. All of a sudden, my phone rings, and a voice on the other line says, is this Pastor Robert Madu? I dropped my voice real low and said, why, yes, it is. <laughs> he said, uh, I know this is crazy. This is last minute, but we just had a cancellation for our Tuesday night student chapel. Is there any way you would be available to come and preach to our Bible college students? Now, keep in mind, during this time of my life, I myself am a Bible college student at Southwestern Assemblies of God University. So I said to Adam McCain, you know what? It seems like yesterday I was a Bible college student myself. <laughs> what an honor it would be to come in part to your young people. <laughs> Drove from Southwestern to Christ for the Nations Institute. I'm about to get up and preach. But before I get up, they say it's Tuesday night. So we're going to show a Tuesday night testimony video. We're going to show a video of a student in our body whose life has been transformed by Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden on the screen, I see the finest girl with the strongest southern accent I have ever heard in my life. And she starts telling her story of Jesus changing her life. I don't meet the girl. I preach that night. I'm at my university the next day, walking down the hallway. A girl taps me on my shoulder and goes, hey, Robert. I said, it's Pastor Robert Madu now. 
She goes, was that you that I saw last night at Christ for the Nations Institute getting ready to preach? I said, yeah, they called me last minute. They had a cancellation. She goes, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Did you see the girl on the screen telling her testimony before you preached? I said, yes, I did. She said, I've known that girl for years. I've known you for years. And I always thought that you two would be perfect for each other. But I never said anything. But the fact that you were there preaching and they showed her video, you two have got to me. The next week, that girl and I went on our very first date at the illustrious international House of Pancakes. <laughs> I said, hey, to make a long story short, that girl's name was Taylor Mitchell. It's now Taylor Madu. We did what married people do. Evie is the evidence of that. Eddie, I am so glad your van broke down on the side of the road that day. And I share that story tonight, first of all, to give some hope to the single people. Hello, this your year. <laughs> but also to say, also to say, who in the world would have thought that Eddie and my Evie were connected? Because their connection is not one that is easily seen on the surface. But once you begin to peel back the layers and dig down deep into the archaeological value of a person's life, it becomes so clear that none of us get to live our lives in autonomy with just me, myself, and I. But how many of you know all of us are connected? Oh, yes, we are deeply connected. Miracles merge with miracles. Testimonies touch each other. Our lives have a way of intersecting. Oh, yes, our lives are not straight lines. Our lives are links because all of us are connected and doesn't it frustrate you doesn't it frustrate you when people you love don't understand this premise and they got the nerve the audacity to tell you don't worry about me don't worry about me you do you I'ma do me you do you I'ma do me and you want to look at that person that you love and go well you doing you is actually affecting me because all of us are deeply and intrinsically and inextricably connected we're connected. So I don't find it strange in Mark chapter 5. Mark begins by talking about the synagogue leader by the name of Jairus. But in the middle of Jairus' story, we're abruptly interrupted with the story of a woman with an issue of blood. And the reason that Mark has sandwiched these two stories together is because the two of them are connected. Oh, deeply connected. In fact, to talk about Jairus, the synagogue leader, and to never discuss the woman with an issue of blood is really to do an injustice to the integrity of this text because the two of them are connected, so connected. Now, not on the surface now, not on the surface. If you just look at the surface of their lives, they cannot be more opposite. Come on, if you look at the surface, one of these things is not like the other. Let's just start with biology 101. Jairus is a man. She is a woman. Hello. Jairus is named in the text the Bible doesn't even give us this woman's name. Jairus is honored and respected, but this woman has been shamed and rejected. Jairus has a family. This woman sits alone. The culture would suggest that Jairus is affluent. He's got some money in the bank, but this woman is broke, busted, and disgusted, and has spent all she had on worthless physicians who have made her worse instead of better. Let me bring the text to California. Jairus is from Calabasas. This woman is straight out of Compton. They have nothing in common on the peripheral, but yet life has put them in the exact same place, posture, and position because they both have been hit with something that they cannot handle. 
how many know life will do that? Life has a way of evening the playing field. Life has a way of hitting you upside the head with some stuff. Come on, that your money can't fix, your friends can't fix, your degrees can't fix, your Instagram follower can't fix. Life has a way of taking your breath away. And might I suggest that if life has hit you with something that you know you cannot handle, how many know that thing is a job for Jesus? That's time for you to just throw up your hands and say, God, I don't know what to do about this, but surely you know what to do. Woo, look at Jairus and this woman. Nothing in common on the surface. Both ended up at the same place, having to push people out the way to get an appointment with Jesus. I love it. I love it. I love that not one of them had a pretty pathway with rose petals to Jesus, but they both had to get crazy and physical and push people out the way to get an appointment with Jesus. See, I didn't expect to get a lot of amens on that. I didn't because you don't like that. You don't like that. You want everything with God to come easy. You want God to show up on your time schedule when it's convenient for you. You want God to show up like Amazon Prime in 24 hours or less. But can I tell you, every once in a while in life, you will have to push some things, push some people, push some mindsets, put some X's out of the way and do something you've never done before. Come on, somebody, to get something you've never received. You're going to have to push Oh, would you just wake up your neighbor and just push them just a little bit and say, you got to push. They both had to push. You know why they're pushing? I'll tell you why they're pushing. They're pushing because desperate people do desperate things. Come on, how many of you know when you are desperate for God to do something in your life, you approach God differently? Come on, when you're really desperate for God to do something in your life, you will come to church differently. You'll be at the L. Ray all day when you really need God to do something in your life. When you are desperate, you'll be in here before the countdown. You'll be lifting up your hands. You'll sing the songs loud. You don't care whose nerves you're getting on. You'll mess up all your Mary Kay and Mac makeup because there's something you need God to do in your life. There is something about desperation. And I found that God will often use desperation to push you into your purpose. Yeah, God will use desperation to drive you into your destiny. In fact, desperation, hear me, is the door that breakthrough walks through. Oh, that'll tweet. I'm going to say that again. Desperation is the door that breakthrough walks through. Some people wonder, how come I haven't got my breakthrough yet? Sometimes it's because you haven't got downright desperate enough for God to do it in your life. And it was the rolling tides of desperation that brought Jairus and this woman both at the feet of Jesus. Look at that. Nothing in common on the surface. Both ended up at the same place, at the feet of Jesus. This is a picture of the church. This is a picture of the power of the gospel, that we can come in here tonight with all of our differences on the surface, but yet we all end up at the same place, at the feet of Jesus, desperate for him to do something in our life. Come on, somebody. Is this helping anybody in here today? If I can, I, I want to delve into the details of their desperation because Jairus, he, he gets to Jesus first, and boy, is he desperate. He's desperate because his little girl, his baby girl, she is dying. Don't miss that. She is dying. So when Jairus gets to Jesus, he's walking, talking to Jesus with the vocal intonation of a 911 caller. He's not saying, Jesus, can you come to my house? He's saying, Jesus, hurry up and come to my house. Wow. This woman is just as desperate, but her situation is chronic. 
that's been going on for a while now, this hemorrhaging, this unexplained bleeding that is occurring in her body. And watch how much Mark, the gospel writer, wants us to know that the two of them are connected. Because it just so happens that Jairus' little girl who is dying is 12 years old. And this woman with an issue of blood has been dealing with it now for 12 years. They are connected. So you got a 12-year-old dying daughter and a 12-year-old disease. So that means chronologically speaking, the same year that this little girl was born was the exact same year that this woman was diagnosed with her disease. That means cinematically speaking, if Mark chapter 5 was a movie and the producers of this is us. We're making the movie. <laughs> Come on. This is the scene in the movie where it would flash from the feet of Jesus and say 12 years earlier. And it would go to a hospital. And walking out of that hospital would be Jairus, his wife, and them holding a brand new baby girl smiling ear to ear with the full joy of parenthood. And then perhaps walking out of that same hospital is a woman. Tears coming down her face because she's just been diagnosed with a disease and the doctors don't know what to do about it. And just maybe they were in the same hospital that day but didn't even see each other. Come on, y'all, isn't that just like life? See, sometimes in life I found you can be so preoccupied with your promise or so preoccupied with your personal pain that you don't even see other people that are around you. Come on, sometimes in life, and especially in the church, you can be so busy shouting over what God has done or so busy weeping over what hasn't come to pass yet that you're oblivious to other people that are around you, other people that God has put in your life for you to be a blessing to. And come on, can I suggest in this narcissistic, individualistic, selfie-saturated society in which we live, we've forgotten Romans chapter 12 that says you got to rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep come on don't be so concerned with you that you miss other people around you Woo! but thank God for Jesus because the two people that didn't see each other at the hospital are now forced to see each other at the hem of his garment and now the two twelves are touching Ooh, I'm gonna break this thing down if I can come on somebody just say 12 Oh, come on, say it like you had some coffee today. Say 12. Yeah. Come on, say it like you got some power. Say 12. Yeah. Yeah. How many of you know, you don't need a Bible college degree. Uh, you don't need to be a student in biblical numerology to know that there are some numbers in the Bible that God has given you biblical blues clues that these numbers are a big deal, okay? <laughs> 12 is one of those numbers. 12 is a big number to God. You remember when God began his covenant with his people, a covenant that began with a call of Father Abraham, continued in Isaac, but culminated in Jacob. Jacob had not one, not five, not ten, 12 sons. Those 12 sons represented the power and the authority of God's covenant with his people. Those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel that represented the power, the strength, and the authority of that nation. In the Old Testament, whenever the high priest would step into the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, he wouldn't walk in with skinny jeans. He would actually have a breastplate that had 12 precious stones representing those 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, you bored? That's too much Old Testament. Fast forward to the New Testament. Come on, you know our New Testament high priest who is Jesus. The first time we see Jesus teaching in the temple is at the age of 12. And they marveled at the wisdom and the power and the authority that came out of a 12-year-old. Come on, you remember when that 12-year-old turned 30 and he got ready to turn the world upside down and he picked his crew, his disciples, his roll dogs. If it was me, I would have stopped at 11. But not Jesus. He said, I need a hater too. Come on, Judas. And he picked 12 dudes to roam the earth and gave all 12 of them power to heal the sick.
sick and to raise the dead. Twelve. Twelve is the number of God's power. It is the number of God's authority. Do you know what Jesus is trying to teach us with the 12s? He's trying to teach us what he's been trying to say since the moment he landed on earth. God says, I don't care if it's a blind eye, a deaf ear, a withered hand, an issue of blood, storm, sickness, disease, demonic oppression, or even death itself. There is absolutely nothing that you're facing that is not under the jurisdiction of my power and my authority. I got the power and the authority to handle whatever the enemy is throwing against you. Woo, come on, somebody give God some praise in this place today. If you know who's got the real power, who's got the real authority. Twelve is the number of God's power. More specifically, it's the number of God's authority. Would you just say authority? Oh, say it like you got some. Come on, say authority. Authority. Why is authority so important? It's because it is your awareness of God's authority that will determine how much you receive from him. Big statement, I'm going to say that again. It's your awareness of God's authority that will determine how much you receive from him. See, often we look at a passage like this and we reduce it to faith because he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. How many know faith is important? Oh, come on, how many know you need faith? Come on, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Without faith, it is impossible, impossible to please God. Faith is our anchor. But watch this. Nobody takes an anchor and just throws it in the water. You're going to lose that anchor. You better connect and tie that anchor to something. And watch this. My faith is connected to his authority, the authority of his word, the authority of his power. That's what my faith has got to be connected to. If you don't believe that God is the ultimate authority, how many of you know your faith is going to struggle? Because your faith and his authority are some of you think you got a faith problem. You're like, oh, I don't have enough faith. That's why I didn't get a miracle. I don't have enough faith. Nope, that, that was cool, God. I didn't get my breakthrough. Didn't have enough faith. That's all right. I just got enough. You got plenty of faith. You know you just need mustard seed faith. Here's what you really need. You need an awareness of God's authority to know that he has the final say. To know that when God gives you a promise, that settles it. Oh, that's what you need, an awareness of his authority. If you don't believe he's the ultimate authority, your faith is going to struggle. Yeah. Give us some scripture for that, Robert. I'll give you some scripture. You remember the disciples? Remember when they're on the boat? Remember they're on the boat? It's the hurricane. The winds and the waves are going crazy. And Jesus is chillaxing in the bottom of the boat. Mark says on a pillow in a hurricane, just, just sound asleep. And the disciples are having a panic attack. They're like, Jesus, don't you care? We're about to die. And Jesus gets up in a hurricane, in a hurricane, cool, calm, and collected because he's got sovereign swag. And he gets up in a hurricane and just goes to the edge of the boat in a hurricane and talking about, peace, be still. And in a moment, the winds and the waves are calm and all the disciples' jaws are on the floor and they go, who is this dude? No, for real, who is this dude that even the winds and the waves obey him? They marveled at his authority. And what did Jesus say back to them? Oh, you of a little your faith is little because you didn't have an awareness of my authority. Because if you knew who I really was, 
if you knew who I really was. You should have looked at me when I was asleep on the boat and said, who is this man that is sleeping and snoring in a hurricane? If this storm ain't bothering him, it ain't going to bother me. Scoot over, Jesus. Let me cuddle with you because if you ain't tripping about this, you must know in the end I'm going to make it. Come on, somebody. God is not stressing about what you're stressing about. He's got all the power and authority. Oh, somebody give God some praise. You're going to get the best sleep of your life tonight when you know who's got the authority. Ooh, hallelujah. When you know who has the authority, your faith can go to a whole nother level. You ain't got a faith problem. You got an awareness of his authority problem. See, you, see, you think the doctor, you think the doctor is the final authority. You, you, you think, you think Instagram trolls are the final authority. You think your cousin and them are the final authority. But I'm telling you, when you know he is the ultimate authority, your faith can go to a whole nother level. Oh, are y'all bored yet? Can I take you a little deeper? Watch this. I think this is profound. Jairus got a house call from Jesus because that was his awareness of his authority. Remember, Jairus, he was a pastor. He worked in the synagogue. He's a pastor. And he approaches Jesus just like a pastor would. He says, Jesus, please, my baby girl, she's dying. We already got the worship music playing at the house. We just need you to come over and lay your hands on her. He's Pentecostal, too. Just lay your hands on her, <laughs> and she's going to be all right. That's the way it works. That was his awareness of his authority. So Jesus says, okay, I'll go to your house. This woman had a whole nother awareness of his authority. She said, Jesus, mm, you ain't got to come to my house. I ain't got time for that. All I got to do is just touch the hem of your garment. We can expedite this whole process. I just got to touch the hem of your garment. And if I touch the hem... Oh, I know I'm going to be made whole. And that's what she got because that was her awareness of his authority. Ooh, how many of you know your word and you know a centurion that had a whole nother awareness of his authority? Oh, that soldier rolled up on Jesus and said, Jesus, I'm a man in authority and under authority. He said, when I tell one of my soldiers to go do something, I don't follow him to see if he does it. I just speak the word. So he says, Jesus, check this out. My servant is sick at the house, but I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. If you'll just speak the word, just send the word, and I know he'll be healed. And for the first time in the Bible, somebody got healed without Jesus even being in the proximity of that person because somebody understood authority. And what did Jesus say to that soldier? Never have I seen a faith like this in all of Israel. He marveled at his faith. How many know if Jesus marvels at something? You better pay attention to what makes Jesus marvel. <laughs> Jesus, why are you marveling at his faith? Because I finally got somebody that understands who has the real authority. I'm telling you, you ain't got no faith problem. You got an awareness of his authority problem. And I really feel like this might be one of the most important messages that you ever hear in your life. Because check this out. Here's why. If you don't believe that somebody is the ultimate authority, how many know you will doubt the validity of their words? If I don't believe you're the real authority, then I'm going to doubt what you have to say. Come on, you've been there before. You ever been uh, dealing with a, a company or a restaurant or a place of business or even on the phone with a company, and you knew you weren't talking to the boss? 
you, you knew you were talking to the person that didn't have the real authority. And then they had the nerve to tell you something that was contradictory to good customer service. After, after all of a sudden, you just, get, you just get so annoyed. You're like, oh, that don't even sound right. Can I please talk to your manager? Can I please speak to your supervisor? Oh, y'all don't do that in L.A. Y'all super safe, okay? No, I do that, okay? I speak to managers. I want to speak to the person that has authority. This happened to me not too long ago. I was at a hotel, had a reservation, been booked for several months, and the girl behind the desk, bless her heart, uh, she, <laughs> she said, I, I'm, I'm, oh, excuse me, I, no, I don't see your reservation, Mr. Madu, and we are fully committed. There are no more rooms. And I tried to stay calm. I said, <laughs> <laughs> this has been booked for several months. She's like, well, I'll check again. Let me see. No, no, I'm so sorry that I don't see it. And, and we are fully committed. We don't have a single room available. So I wasn't rude about it. I said, can I please speak to your manager? Can I just speak to your supervisor? She said, okay, but we're fully committed. There's no more rooms. The manager comes behind the desk and goes, oh, hello, Mr. Madu. Good to see you again. Oh, girl, move. I'm so sorry. She's new. Let me see. Um, where's, oh, here it is. Here it is, right? here. I found your reservation. In fact, for all your trouble, I'm going to go ahead and upgrade you to an executive suite. How did I go from about to be on the street to an executive suite because somebody with authority knew which button to push? Oh, I hope you get so annoyed by what the devil is doing to your mind and your family and your life. You just throw up your hands and say, I'm going to speak to the supervisor. I'm going to speak to the God that knows me, that formed me. Come on, somebody take 10 seconds and give God the best praise that you got. Come on, worship team. Oh, when you know who's got power. When you know who's got authority, I'm telling you, your faith can go to a whole nother level. Oh, this woman goes for 12 years. For 12 years, I've been speaking to mid-level employees. That girl goes, I demand an appointment (laughs) with the supervisor. And she touched the hem of his garment. As soon as she touched his garment, she was healed. She was made whole. I could end the sermon right there. I already got the spiritual music playing behind me. (laughs) Can't end the sermon there because don't forget that this woman and Jairus are connected. And her healing, as awesome as it was, was an interruption to Jesus' journey to Jairus' house. Oh, don't forget who got to Jesus first. Jairus did. I can see how it went down. He gets to Jesus and says, Jesus, please, my baby girl. My baby girl, she's dying. Would you come to the house and heal her? Jesus says, yes, I'll go. Can you imagine the joy that filled Jairus' heart when Jesus said, I'll go to your house? But the Bible is clear. There's a huge crowd there that day, a massive crowd. So the challenge of Jairus is to get Jesus through this huge crowd to his house and in time because she is dying. There's no time to waste. You know how it is when you're trying to go through a crowd. There's a lot of people you're trying to get your way through. You're like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Move, move excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. He's pushing people out the way. He's like, no, I got to him first. Move. And he's pushing people out the way. He checks back to make sure Jesus, fo- come on, Jesus, come on, follow me. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Jesus, you still there? Okay, come on, come on, follow me. And he's pushing people out the way. And all of a sudden, the text would subliminally suggest to us that he loses Jesus in the crowd. He looks back, he's like, where did this dude go? I just told you, we ain't got time for this. Excuse me, excuse me, move, excuse me. And he pushes people out the way and finally finds Jesus surrounded by people. Talking about, 
who touched me? And Joseph's like, are you serious right now? I just told you this is an emergency. My baby girl is dying. You up here playing 21 questions? What you mean who touched you? Everybody touching you. Oh, come on, don't act like you ain't never been there before. Don't act like you ain't never told Jesus. This is an emergency. They about to take my car. This bill is due on the 5th. You an on-time God? Mm, this the time for you to show up. And he just taking his time, asking random questions, talking about who touched me. I wait. <laughs> wait. <laughs> but who knows how long for this woman to finally sheepishly come through the crowd go it was me no doubt she probably thought he was going to kill her understand it is against the law for you to be in public when you are ceremonially unclean the unclean was never supposed to touch the clean because it would contaminate the clean but she had to get a different perspective of who this Jesus was he is a different high priest when you touch him you don't contaminate him because what's on the inside of him gets on the inside of you so you can come to him with all your junk all your issues and just as you are get a hold of him and what's in him will get you. I feel like preaching tonight. Touched the hem of his garment. He said, no, girl, ain't nobody going to kill you. Sit down. Let's talk. And he just sits there and just takes his time and starts talking to her. Watch this. While Jairus has to wait. And he's just chilling, talking. The Bible says that she told him the whole truth. Another version says she told him her whole story. She. <laughs> told him her she so ladies I love you but have you ever had a lady tell you her whole story yo get you a comfortable seat you gonna be there for a minute do not be in a hurry if you're in a hurry get a dude to tell you his whole story he be like I'm good how long how long is this conversation and I can see the steam coming off of Jairus's forehead like are you serious girl get your healing and go we got to get to the house. Oh, isn't that frustrating? When God makes you wait. And you told him it was an emergency. Not only did Jairus have to wait, he had to watch her get her healing. Y'all don't want to be real tonight. If it's not frustrating enough to wait on your miracle, what do you do when while you are waiting on your miracle, God makes you watch somebody else get theirs and you got that fake smile on your face like oh you got healed <laughs> hallelujah can we go now <laughs> oh it's funny till it's you yeah waiting to get healed watching other people shout about their healing waiting for the business to take off watching other people talking about we earned more this quarter than we've ever made waiting to have a baby watching other people post pictures of their baby on Instagram waiting to get married watching other people walk down the aisle talking about God she got a husband not for real she got a husband what do you do when God makes you watch a miracle while you're waiting on your miracle because I found God will often make you watch a miracle while you're waiting on your miracle and it's not to discourage you
he's a good father is actually to encourage you to let you know that the same God that did it for them is willing and able to do it for you too. Come on, we got to get jealousy and hating out the church. When you see God blessing somebody else, don't start hating. You ought to start praising because the same God that healed them, the same God that blessed them, come on somebody, he can do it for you too. He is no respecter of persons if he did it for them. Oh, come on, somebody give him some praise. He can do it for you too. Hallelujah. Oh, stand to your feet. I'm done. I'm done. God did it for me. He can do it for you too. I'm so glad you shouted at that. I set you up for that shout. <laughs> I'm a preacher. Because we say that a lot in church, don't we? If God did it for me, he can do it for you too. And it's true. But I think there's an erroneous ideology attached to that. I think when we say if God did it for me, he can do it for you too. We think that means he'll do it in the same way. So if God blessed you with a house, ooh, turn up. He's going to bless me with a house in the same neighborhood and with the same square footage. And I'm going to measure Jesus, so keep it even. He'll do it for you too, but often it won't be in the same way. That's why you got to stop comparing yourself to other people. Hear me tonight. I'm landing the plane. Jairus and this woman both wanted the same thing, healing. Jairus didn't get a healing. Jairus got a resurrection. Which sounds awesome. Don't clap too soon. Till you remember that the prerequisite for resurrection is death. So can you imagine, while he was waiting on his miracle, watching her get hers, he feels a tap on his shoulder from people that had come from the house. When he turns around, he can already see it on their face. They say, Jairus, why bother the teacher anymore? Your baby girl's already dead. When I read that, I felt Jairus' pain. But it also became clear to me that Jairus has horrible friends, <laughs> terrible friends. <laughs> Hashtag the worst friends on planet Earth. Not because they told him his daughter was dead. Those were the facts. It's the commentary they added to the facts. <laughs> they said, Jairus, why bother the teacher anymore? Your daughter's already dead. I have to use that voice because they annoy me. Jairus, <laughs> why bother the teacher anymore? Your daughter's already dead. In essence, they're saying, Jairus, this is the time to quit. This is the time to give up. This is the time to just walk away. Watch out for people in your life that are so quick to tell you to give up on your dream, give up on the word that God gave you. How are you going to tell me to quit? This ain't your daughter. And how are you going to say don't bother the teacher? You don't have an awareness of his authority. Jesus is more than a teacher. He's a healer. He's a way maker. He's a miracle worker. Oh, he's the resurrection and the life. Come on, somebody give him praise if you know who he is. Hallelujah. That's why he takes Jairus by the hand, walks right into the house. They already started the funeral. He said, why y'all crying? This girl ain't dead. She's just asleep. And they laughed at him. He said, oh, you think that's funny? Oh, you think that's funny? Every one of y'all that laughed, I got a word for you. Get Oh, come on, somebody help me close this message. Get. Come on, get. Somebody needs to serve an eviction notice on some things that the enemy's been beating you up with. You need to say enough is enough. Fear, get.
gets, worry gets, depression gets, anxiety gets. Come on, let's give God some praise.